Welcome to the Talking Code Podcast. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Venkat Dinavahi. And we're having short interviews with experts that help you decode what developers are saying. If you're a first-time listener, make sure to go to TalkingCode.com and sign up for our mailing list. We send out links to new interviews along with exclusive content just for our subscribers. We're here with Diana Smith, Director of Marketing at Segment. Today, we're talking about how to create a tracking plan for your analytics. How's it going, Diana? That's good. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining us. So analytics is kind of a vague term, um, which is a catch-all for a whole bunch of things. What specifically are we talking about when we talk about analytics in this context? When we talk about analytics, we're thinking about, you know, the type of data that helps you figure out how your company's doing. It's more about awareness. It's about telling you, okay, what's currently going on with my customers? How are they using my product? And then based on that information, you can try to improve those numbers and use analytics again to measure if your experiments or changes actually did move the needle. So when we talk about analytics, there's usually a few critical basic types of analyses that you do for user behavior. You know, one might be user path, like how people move from one page to the other in your web app or from one um, task to another in a mobile app. Another would be funnel analytics. So how many people do one step and then move on to do the next important steps and who drops off in between. So those are some of the basic analyses and analytics practices that we'd be chatting about. Just a real quick uh, segue into these different types of tracking that you'd be doing. So to me, naively, looking at a a path and a funnel seems very similar, Mm -hmm. but uh, there's obviously a difference there. What's the primary difference in the tracking that you're doing there? That's a good question. Um, You're usually tracking similar things to do those different analysis. A user path is more just trying to see, okay, when people come in, where do they go after that? And you're not really putting a lot of structure on where you want them to go. You're just saying, what is it that they do? When people hit our homepage, what's the next page that they hit? And what's the next page that they hit? Um, A funnel is more that you have these steps you want people to go through and you're measuring how many people sign up and then activate and then pay me because those are the things you want them to do and you're checking to see how people move down that path. Okay, so if I'm putting my scientist hat on here, the funnel is I've got some hypotheses set up about what it is that I want to have happen, and I'm trying to test those hypotheses, but the path is really just me sitting back and doing random observation. Yeah, that's basically it. Mm -hmm. God, I've been gone for so long, uh, but (laughs) back before I left, I think it wasn't too long ago that uh, Kissmetrics had released their path reporting Mm -hmm. tool, which seemed really interesting. So, you know, they have the ability for you to be able to actually see what those whole paths are through your application, which I thought was really neat. Do you know of any other tools that had done anything like that before? I know that Google Analytics has a pretty good way to do that. And then if you're using SQL, um, I really like Mode is a SQL analytics tool and they have what they call Playbook, which is basically like a SQL query that anyone could use. That is a really nice way to see how many people start at a certain page and then like what percentage of them go off to other pages and like what's the third page that they go to. It looks pretty neat. Speaking of SQL, if I've got my own database, why should I be using some other sort of analytics tool when I can just easily track events that are happening in my database as it is? 
I think first I'd question that it's easy to track analytics to your own database. It actually takes some infrastructure work to make that happen and make that reliable. I think it's really important to track it to your database and have it in a SQL format that you can use later on. But if you're new, there are a lot of things that are way easier to do in out-of-the-box tools like Google Analytics or Mixpanel or Kissmetrics than it would be to do in SQL, and you don't have to know SQL. So if you're asking basic funnel questions like, how are people dropping off on my product? Like, is this landing page converting? What are my top marketing channels? That stuff is pretty easy to do and faster in out-of-the-box analytics tools. If you're getting you know, more advanced and you have deeper questions like, I don't know, I'm a retailer and I want to pull up a list of all the users that bought in the past two Fridays, but not this Friday, that's something you'd probably want SQL for. But it just kind of depends on how far along you are in your like your analytics journey. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, so you're saying that I really probably shouldn't try and recreate the wheel here and build segments platform or Kissmetrics platform or whatever it is to do my own tracking. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into like the hosting costs. And, you know, these other companies, whether it's segment or other, have spent all of their time figuring out how to do that for you. <laughs> So I think that it makes sense to use one of those out-of-the-box tools and then also to own your own data, to like pipe your own data into your own database, but that you don't really touch until you need like to answer more specific questions. Okay. So what events should I be tracking then? I like to break it down into basically three core parts of the user experience that are important to track. One is discovery. So when how do people raise their hand and say like, yes, I'm interested in your product? This might be a sign-up, uh, it might be that they viewed a page, it might be that they downloaded your app, like what is that discovery moment? Then the next thing that's important to track is an engagement event. So what does it mean that they are in taking, you know, actually using your product? What's like the most important feature that they're using? So maybe for Slack, that would be sending messages. Then the third thing you'd want to look at is conversion, like did they actually pay you any money? that's important. So in a SaaS business, that might be like upgraded to free trial. If you're e-commerce, that might be like completed order or something like that. So those are the three main events you should track, things that are like completely core to your user experience, and then only add more events as you have more questions that you can't answer. So I shouldn't just track everything just in case I need it? I definitely strongly urge you, you not to do that. I think a lot of people when they get interested in analytics, they get really psyched about it. And they're like, I'm just going to track everything, every page, every button, every whatever. But they don't really have a reason for tracking them. They just have it. So then when they go to ask a question or they actually want to find out something from analytics, they don't even know where to start because in their analytics tools, they just have like massive numbers of events. And it's just a lot of noise that won't help them until they have a question that tracking that piece of information is actually useful for. When I set up what these events are, does it matter how it is that I name them? We are very big sticklers for naming conventions at Segment because we've seen what happens if you're not strict about how you name them. So for example, an event called signed up to one developer might be account created to another, might be new user to another. And if everyone's using different names, then you would go in to like actually create a funnel report and mix panel and you have no idea which of these events is actually the right one. So we like advocate for picking a naming convention. It sounds silly. It sounds like it doesn't matter, but just being really specific, like past tense, verb action, or, you know, like signed up, viewed product, whatever, and talk about the 
capitalization, punctuation that you want to do with that. Whatever it is, just be really consistent across all of your analytics tracking because then it's going to be easier for everyone else to know how to use it in your organization. Yeah, I saw that you used like a an object action, which, you know, for me is like an object-oriented developer. Sounds mm-hmm. really amazing. Yeah. And really straightforward. But, you know, it, it looks like you were even recommending that you try not to invert the words too often even. Is that the case? We think the best um, naming convention is the object action framework. So that means that you have an object, like if you're optimizely, your object would be an experiment. And then what's the action a user can take on that? They could create an experiment. And that's how you would name your event experiment created. Right. And that's really easy to follow. And the other nice thing about that is that when you're going to do analysis about the experiments, all of them show up in this nice al- alphabetical order format in your dropdown. So we like that a lot. So that's our favorite way. But really, it's more important to just like pick a way and stick to it. Okay. And so you also recommended starting with just a few events. Um, I think you even just said pick three. Yes. What's the reason for picking? I mean, to me, what seems like so few events, right? My users are doing a ton of things in my app. Mm -hmm. Why am I trying to start with so little at the outset? The reason that you want to start with so few is just to really think about what are the questions you want to answer? What are the key metrics you're trying to measure? Just probably like sign up conversion rate, activation rate, you know, conversion to paying customer. And those really important metrics that are like the key metrics are all you really want to start with. Otherwise, it just gets really confusing and it's hard to focus on what's important. And the way that we suggest adding events is you start with the questions that you want to answer. And then if you have other questions that you can't answer from the just those three, then you can add more. Another way to make the most out of those events is to put a lot of details in the properties, which I can go into if you want. I guess it really depends on where we are in the life cycle of our company too, because you know, if I've just launched and I don't even know, you know, how many people I'm converting, then it probably makes sense to focus my time and attention there versus like this track everything approach where, you know, I'm worried about how enterprise plans are converting when, you know, I don't even know whether or not people are signing up for the service in the first place. Right. And you can actually track that information with just the conversion event. If you have a property that's like the plan name, then you can really easily figure out, okay, what plans are the biggest plans, but still the same event. Okay. Let's get into that then. So you talked about these properties that you should be tracking with everything. I mean, what kind of info should I be putting in these uh, properties? That's a great question. I think the best way to discuss it is like going through an example So say you're an e-commerce site, you're selling t-shirts and you have an event called, you know, completed order. What's important to pass along with that completed order? So you can answer questions like what products are doing well, how much money am I making, that kind of stuff. So alongside the completed order event or order completed, if you're using object action, we'd suggest you doing things like product ID. So you can map that to what actual is the product, maybe product name, you know, green alligator t-shirt. (laughs) And then the revenue is also important to pass through and like the number quantity of events, things like that, that are really contextual. So you can drill down with all that type of information. You can drill down and answer questions like what's the average number of items someone buys per order, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then, I mean, things like size of the t-shirt or the seller of the t-shirt or. Depending on size is also good for inventory. And then 
Things like product SKU. So if you have different colors and different types of that particular item, collecting that information is also helpful. Right. I I mean, because then we are running a lot of like business analytics on top of just the product focused analytics as well. Yeah. Where we can see, you know, like, oh, wow, the large blue t-shirts nobody wants. Exactly. And it could help with inventory and other even things like with an analytics product, if you're tracking like the people who come in to view the product then or like come to your site, view the product and completed order as your main, you know, funnel, you can slice that by what channel they came in. So say I'm running a Facebook campaign. What do all the people who come in from the Facebook campaign buy? Do they buy something different than everyone else? So you can really find out a lot of information with very few events. You know, you're talking about who's the referrer in these cases. Mm -hmm. I don't have to like try and keep track of all that information myself. So the way that the referrer would come into play is that when you're tracking, you know, if one of your um, events is like viewed page or when they first come to your site, you can capture that refer property in that event. So you could tie that all together. With segments specifically, if I'm using, Mm -hmm. does segment take care of like all that legwork on that? Or do I have to try and figure out like who the referrer is on my server or something? Basically what you do is you pass it along with like the page call or the track call that you're doing. And there's some pretty easy ways for you to just grab that from the browser when you're implementing it client side. And then we on the back end, so you take the refer and also you create an ID for the user. And then behind the scenes, we can connect the anonymous ID with like an actual user ID or identified person and also connect that refer information. So when you follow the docs for tracking, you know, with segment or even with someone like Kissmetrics, they will make it so you could see that funnel all the way through the same person where they were referred through. Right. That pretty much blew my mind the first time years ago that I ever saw <laughs> that happen. It's like, oh my God, how are you able to connect like this anonymous person to something else? And of course, you're doing your own magic to be able to make that happen. But yeah. it is impressive because that's a lot of work for you to do yourself. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how that works technically. But I think the important thing to know that we didn't really touch on at all. So we've been talking more about events. So like, what are things that people are doing in your product? But another, like the other, what we call API method that's important is the identify call. So this is saying this is a discrete person who's doing these events so that you can tie those together. Right. And so how important do you feel demographics are for trying to wean out as much data as you can? I mean, should I be trying to capture as much you know, information about my users as I can. What do you mean by demographic data, like gender and yeah, age, like age and stuff? Right. I guess there's other demographic data too. I mean, like, you know, what kind of company they're in? Are they in a company size of one to 10 people or a hundred to a thousand people? That's a great question. So, you know, in the traditional marketing world, people do a lot of marketing based on demographic data. Things are changing today because you have this event data. It's really easy to make more targeted, relevant campaigns based on what people have actually done in your app. So if you know that someone has viewed X product and added it to their cart, but they haven't completed the order, you can send an email to them with that exact context, which is better than knowing that they're a female that like, you know, <laughs> right. in San Francisco or whatever. So that's what's awesome about this type of analytics tracking. At the same time, when that extra information is helpful, at least at segment, we don't want to ask people to give us like their company 
information because it just feels kind of crappy. And they're like, why do you want this information? I just want to sign up. So we do some things on the back end to get that information. And really, we're only using that with sales, like who signed up today that makes sense for us to reach out to for maybe a higher plan. Okay, that makes sense. So I kind of feel the same way, at least as a user for a lot of these SaaS products. It's like, first off, I mean, I understand they're trying to go for the big fish. But, you know, I feel weird as like this two-man startup coming in. Will they not care about me if <laughs> right. I say I'm under five people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, okay, so we we know who they're preferring at this point. I know how this conversation is going to go. Yeah. Like, I, it doesn't even matter that I'm putting my phone number in here because sales is never going to give me a call. Which maybe <laughs> you don't want to call. But. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think that's interesting. I've seen some companies do a nice job of using this contextual information one example is Mention. They're like a monitoring company. Right, like your social mentions. Yeah, exactly. So they ask you for your you know, role when you sign up, but they actually use that information to send you really relevant content. So there's sometimes when if you collect it, if you use it to help them, I think it's cool. But it's definitely, I think the best way to go is to actually use the actions that they're taking to market to them in a more personalized way. Right. Yeah. I I mean, we've considered doing that with like our mailing list, for example, Mm -hmm. because we have such a diverse audience, product managers, developers. I mean, you know who you are, but it's hard when iTunes gives you no data about what kind of things people are listening to for me to correlate that with somebody that's on our mailing list and try and send them only episodes that they would care about. Whereas it's much easier from the outset for me to go, Hey, are you a designer? Are you a developer? And then only send them like, you know, stuff that they actually would really be interested in. Yeah, exactly. Or doing some smart ways where they don't necessarily have to say, Oh, I'm going to identify with this persona that you marketing people have created, but it's more like, Hey, I'm interested in these topics. Like, you know, there's a check, there's a checklist. What topics are you interested in? Exactly. A designer who's also interested in development or whatever. But I think that a lot of companies are struggling with how to do this in a way that doesn't hurt the user experience. I think it's all about intention, like mm-hmm. you said, where, you know, if, if my interest is really genuinely in trying to make sure that I'm not bothering you with stuff exactly. that you're not going to be interested in, then it makes sense. But if you're just doing it to be like this scummy archetype of a marketing person, then, you know, of course, I'm going to end up picking up on that and it's not going to have the results that you want. Exactly. I think it's just great in general that we've, like come as a community to this point where we're talking about how to genuinely benefit people. You know, I I just think like the, I don't know, I just imagine like this Gordon Gecko like alternate, like wacko universe (laughs) where like people aren't assuming that that's the case. And yet we actually have really big companies out there having these genuine conversations about how to genuinely help people, which is great. Yeah. And I think that if you're collecting that information and you're sharing, okay, we're going to use it for X or for Y or for Z, That's helpful. And I think that segment, this is a particularly tricky topic for us, especially because we have a technical audience who are very, you know, like, don't market to me. If I see that you're taking my like title, why are you doing that? You know, very skeptical. So how can we make that experience really good is always in our brain when we're doing marketing. Right. I think it's actually like, it's a really good thing to have a skeptical audience because that forces you to think really hard about the choices that you're making. Whereas like with a broader, like more consumer focused like group, you are, it's too easy to be lazy about what it is that you're doing. 
I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a like competitive advantage, honestly, to have it be more difficult. Yeah, they're they're gonna call you out. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they don't like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas other people will just be like, eh, you know, like Pinterest email, eh, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. We've got all this data. You know, how am I supposed to be making use of the data that I'm collecting now? So I'm sending it up through Segment. Obviously, like Segment is a path to go on to other tools. So mm-hmm. I'm just using these other tools then to try and slice and dice the data that I've got at this point. So that's a great question. Yeah, you don't do too, you don't do any analysis in, se- in segment, but this type of data, that discovery, engagement, conversion information, is super useful in a lot of tools. We've mostly been talking about analytics tools, so passing that data to something like mixed panel or indicative or something like that, where you can do analysis, you know, on where are people dropping off? Like everyone comes in, but they never use our number one feature. Like, obviously that's a problem. We should fix that. Or you might use it in Google analytics to see, okay, what are the top refers to my site? Who's sending me the most traffic? And is that traffic converting? So that's all the great kind of information you can use on the analytics side. The other cool thing that you can do with this data is use it in email tools, which is like what we were talking about with the you send the alligator t-shirt email to the alligator t-shirt guy. Right. So it's the same information that would make sense in an email tool. And there's also, you know, a number of other tools that make sense for this type of data. A-B testing. Right. (laughs) It's funny. I'm I'm just like thinking of the examples like a a few seconds before you say them. So I'm like, oh, customer IO. She's going to talk about something like, you know, email targeting tools. And then I'm like, hmm, optimizely, that's probably coming up next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's funny, all of these, there's like an explosion of these different SaaS tools that are trying to help you like do conversion optimization or like have more personalized messages to your product. And they're all running on this event data. It's all the same data. So with optimizely, you maybe you do a homepage experiment that's saying, you know, I'm going to test these two different versions. But the event part comes in is like, you're looking at the signups, right? What changed with the signups? And that's the same event. Right. And so, you know, I think what's um, interesting about these tools that have ended up taking, you know, this sort of uh, like federated data is that they are applying like what it is that you're collecting the data for in the first place, right? Like you're not collecting data just to store it in a warehouse and say like, Mm -hmm. oh, look, we have all this data here. Isn't that fantastic? Like, no, of course it's supposed to be actionable. Um, They're, you know, really drawing down the the gap between data collection to how actionable it is. And it should be actionable in some cases almost immediately, right? Definitely. Yeah. It's amazing how easy some of these tools are to use. If you just go in, like once you have the data all set up, basically anyone could could use them, which is awesome. Like Optimizely is so easy. You can just go in and edit your website and throw up a new version. It's like done, which is really amazing that so many different people are getting access to those types of tools. And the trend that we're seeing at Segment kind of being in the center of all this is that these tools are exploding. There's so many tools that are doing like one thing very well, you know, customer IOs event-based emails. Right. Optimizely is A-B testing. Zendesk is like support tickets. And we're seeing that people really gravitate towards us, like many of these tools to do different things really, really well, rather than in the olden days, which, or, you know, still today for some companies using an Oracle or an SAP to do all of this stuff and like one jack of all trades, <laughs> right. master of none type of software situation. So that's actually, um, that's a good opportunity for a follow-up question here, which is I am often overwhelmed sometimes by going into segment and seeing the sheer number of tools that are in there. And it makes me feel like I should really be sending all this data out to these other sources like right away. 
Mm -hmm. Do you recommend that people go out and just create a bunch of accounts on like Kissmetrics? Mm -hmm. And I've I've actually had clients too ask me like, well, I haven't really decided whether or not I want to use like Kissmetrics or Mixpanel yet. So should I just send data like both of them and then, Mm -hmm. you know, pick one later on? I I think people end up having uh, like this paradox of choice where there's so many things that, you know, they have trouble deciding like which tool to, to use with it. Do you have any recommendations there? That's a great question. I think that's something that we also struggle with and something that we're trying to help our customers decide better. We're going to be having some content around like what are the different tools that help for different things. And you could always just email us and say what you're trying to do and we'll tell you which one is the best one for you. (laughs) Obviously, that's not great. But I think that you should narrow down on like what are the jobs that you're trying to do as an organization? Are you trying to improve your product funnel? Are you trying to understand marketing attribution, like what are you trying to do? And then zero in on some tools that are really good for that. I think using segment is a great way to test two of them out. Like all these tools have free trials, right? So you pipe a month of data into them and see which one actually workflow better. And then you just turn one off when when you pick which one you like. Right. Okay. So speaking of this, like what types of analytic services are out there? I mean, we, we covered some of them, like, you know, basic, you know, metrics reporting tools like Kissmetrics and Mixpanel. We covered A-B testing. We covered email. Uh, are there anything else that I'm missing here? When you're talking just about analytics and not about like other growth stuff, there's also a few other ones. We talked about out-of-the-box tools like, you know, Google Analytics and Mixpanel. There's also a lot of SQL tools. So tools that are running on top of cloud-based data warehouses. So things that would run on top of Redshift or Postgres or uh, MySQL, something like that. So tools like Mode, Looker, Periscope. So that's like more on the BI side, Tableau. There's also, you know, a category of tools for real-time data, you know, like real-time dashboards. Honestly, I think this is sometimes a vanity metric play, but where it does make sense is if you are like a publisher or someone who really it matters like on a daily basis what your traffic looks like, then those make sense. And then the last type of analytics tool that as you get bigger and bigger and start spending more money on marketing will become important, and we're seeing a big trend in this, is attribution. So people who are helping marketers who have multiple campaigns across multiple different channels figure out which one of them is actually performing the best and how much ROI am I getting out of these? And like, if someone sees a Facebook ad and then a Twitter ad and then comes to my blog, like, how should I attribute like all those different channels and like the money that I'm making off them. Right. Which seems very important when you're talking about spending, you know, money that often is already hard to come by for like SaaS companies. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked a little about how you can decide like which of these tools to use. I mean, let's just take an example. And obviously the like use cases are different depending on who it is that you're talking to, but like what sort of questions should I be asking around? Okay. I've got Kissmetrics. I've got Mixpanel. Mm -hmm. which one is right for me? That's a great question. So there's a two, both tools excel in different, usually industries. So Kissmetrics is awesome for SaaS and free trial type businesses where you really want to see the user is important. Kissmetrics is all built around like people and what each person is doing. And it makes it easy to look at your funnel and say, okay, how many people came to this, did this and do that by who's in that. And like you can find the list of people if you need to email them or whatever. Kissmetrics is really great at that. So thinking about, do you care more about the people? Like are they high value people? Or in Mixpanel, it's more about event-based stuff. So really great for mobile, figuring out like how are people using your app is where Mixpanel really shines. Right. And I think that's interesting too, because I know 
a little bit about the engineering that went into both of those. And Mixpanel started out as very event-oriented. They ended up adding people on just because right. there was extra demand for it. And yet Kissmetrics went through, like I think it was something like a year-and-a-half-long rewrite of the product where they just made everything super people-oriented. And I think it was more event-oriented to begin with, um, and people were kind of tacked on, but they found that that just wasn't working for what the use case was for Kissmetrics, mm -hmm. which was to track individuals. Right. So, you know, I, I think that's interesting to think about. I'm coming in as a naive person saying like, well, why can't I be doing, you know, this sort of tracking myself? And then looking at this company that's making many millions of dollars that spent a year and a half of their time just re-architecting everything to make sure that it was the best that it could be for tracking this specific use case. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that each of these tools, you know, there's a lot of similarities, of course, but they all have a different type of company that they do best for. So it's interesting. And also, when you look at how they're trying to differentiate themselves from a marketing perspective, you see this switch in Kissmetrics really going after marketers. And they're really great at, you know, we were talking about before, like connecting the anonymous and, and identified users, which is really important for marketing campaigns right. and knowing the people. So that's why Kissmetrics is going after that segment where you see Mixpanel kind of focusing a little bit more on the product manager side. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting. Again, it, it makes me have this, for me, I'm the person who's trying to do both of those things. Right. Um, and so I look at these tools and I'm like, oh man, it's like, which one should I choose? Should I choose them both and try and focus on like mixed panel stuff for doing the PM decisions that I need to make? Should I be right. using Kissmetrics for doing the other things? I mean, honestly, they both are helpful for both things. So it goes down to like what you like. Right. I could talk about the little differences between the different things, but it goes down to like when you're actually in the tool, which one do you find to be more useful? Yeah, it's just, it, it made me like so torn that for a while I was like, okay, we're only going to use Mixpanel exclusively. And then it's like, ah, no, let's switch back to Kissmetrics. And so now we've only been using Kissmetrics exclusively. Mm -hmm. um, it's just interesting the way that it turns out. It is interesting. But I mean, that's good for me as a user that like I have this proliferation of tools and I'm mm -hmm. having trouble deciding which one to use. Even. Yeah, definitely is a problem that I and you start to see some of these, you know, stack list and stack share and these different content companies that are coming up just to try to help people navigate this whole situation. And I think there's a lot more that segment can do to help explain, you know, the differences because we see the use cases for these every day. But yeah, absolutely. Tough. <laughs> I think I think that's something that, you know, you guys have been doing a really great job at putting out content to help people who, you know, are struggling with these early questions about like, how, where do I begin and with whom and doing what. But, you know, the more the merrier, in my opinion, like, it always really frustrated me when, you know, I think Mixpanel, especially was one of the early leaders in, you know, the analytics world, uh, or at least in terms of, you know, popularizing uh, these things and bringing them yeah, to me. event-based analytics. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I just like, I was waiting for education on it mm -hmm. and not getting anything. And, you know, just assuming that like I was going to end up being like a 500 startups incubated startup or something wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not yeah. in San Francisco. I'm trying to learn everything that I can through osmosis of what I can get on the internet. And so it'd be great to just have more, you know, just mm -hmm. show examples, especially because like you said, um, examples are the easiest way to wrap your head around what it is that's going on here. So say that you're a company in this situation trying to answer these sort of questions. Here's the sort of thing that you should be doing. Yeah. And we're thinking a lot about like based on your stage, what types of tools should you be using? Because I think that like you mentioned, 
the biggest problem with analytics and like I think every job, but is focus, right? How do you focus on the things that matter? How do you focus on the tools that matter when there's all of this choice and all this opportunity to collect massive amounts of data? So really our number one suggestion is just like pick the things that are really important to your business and just figure those things out. And so are there any specific metrics then that I should really absolutely be paying attention to, like cannot ignore sort of metrics, or is that just all business dependent? I can talk about SaaS companies because that's what I know best. You really want to look at kind of like going back to your core funnel, like your sign up rate, like how are you growing? Are you signing up more people month over month? And the important thing is not to look at the actual value number. Like we had 300 signups this week. Right. Because that doesn't tell you what the movement is in that metric. Is it trending up or trending down? So we're really, rates are way better to measure. So sign up rate and then activation rate. If you sign up 300 people, but only two of them ever use your product, well, then like you just wasted a bunch of marketing dollars, right? So looking at that activation rate and how you can change and improve that is super important because then you're making more out of those signups that come through. Right. And then the last, you know, is conversion to paid. Like how many, how much money do I get out of our average, you know, core cohort of customers coming in during a certain period of time? Those are the things that I think are like key for any SaaS business to be looking at. Right. Absolutely. I just had a, a question come up, which wasn't even in my original list of things I wanted to know about, but I re- remember how much it's frustrated me in the past. Uh, so, you know, I do have this data and I'm, I'm tracking, you know, the, the changes, but the question that I've always struggled with, and I've, I've especially struggled in terms of like formulating experiments that I want to do mm-hmm. to try and, you know, move the dial one way or another is how do I actually try and make a connection between the action that I've taken and the results that I'm seeing? You know, is there a way that you recommend to connect the dots either retroactively or, you know, to plan it out so that it's very obvious that like, well, this, you know, week or this month, we ran this experiment and we expected to have these results. Is there any recommendation that you have there? My recommendation is really running it like you're back in fifth grade and, and you're learning about the scientific method. Like you have a hypothesis, you know what the baseline is. Your hypothesis is that it will, this change will up this number by X percent over X amount of time. Then you run that test and then you see of the people who went through it, what was the difference? Right. And I think one of the big problems that you'll run into here is that for small companies who are learning about this stuff and they're like, oh, conversion optimization optimization is all the rage. They just don't have enough data to really show whether these things are statistically significant or not. So that's something I'd watch out for as well. That actually leads into the two other questions then. So the, the first was on the statistical significance aspect. So do you recommend that I just like wait for a while and, you know, focus on qualitative things over quantitative and maybe use quantitative as just an extra measure to validate that what I'm learning qualitatively is important. And then definitely, okay. if you're at a small stage and you don't have the data where running an A-B test will give you any information that's actually useful, qualitative analysis is so important. Like talking to your users, doing NPS, doing surveys, just reaching out to them, having conversations, you get so much great information. Or even doing things like if you're at a small scale, there's one tool that I love called Full Story. It's a little creepy. But what it does is it basically records users' journey on your site. So like you can see where they're clicking around and stuff for each session and watching those things and watching people struggle is just you realize what's not clear. Right. 
I've done a lot of, um, I, I mean, we had to go really hard in the qualitative direction with this uh, Cook Academy site that we were working on, which uh, is uh, my wife and I's site. And it's very hard, even with doing some of the like user testing sites, to really get a sense for what people were doing. And so, you know, we had to actually offer people like on Craigslist, like Amazon gift cards to come into their house (laughs) and watch them do this because there's no amount of like analytics data at this stage where we could figure out like, is this working for them? You know, we just really got to watch them struggle. Like, are they cutting the chicken the way that we taught them? Right. You know, in fact, in one really uh, weird case, we figured out that people like maybe sometimes don't know about like cleaning habits and <laughs> you know like spreading chicken all over their kitchen and Probably like oh egg. man maybe we should like <laughs> really emphasize that in one of the lessons here <laughs> but yeah that's that's really always been a challenge for me is like okay yeah so i've got this like cool tool that allows me to collect all this data but i don't have enough to go on. So is there like a, a number that you recommend to be looking for in terms of uh, when things should be statistically significant? Because mm-hmm. one of the criticisms that I've seen of the way that people do A-B testing often is that, you know, they wait for something to show statistically significant in the tool. And then they turn it off. Right. <laughs> but you need to pick a number up front. So how do I pick that number? I don't have like the answer for you right offhand, but I can share with you a resource that's really helpful for figuring that out. So based on like how much traffic you have, how long you have to let things run for, you know, how much of a change you want to see. So I can I can share that with you. So in terms of doing the qualitative work that you talk about, and maybe trying to use quantitative data to make it match up with the qualitative data or at least help. Are there any specific strategies that you recommend for, you know, going out and getting that qualitative data? You mentioned MPS. So is there anything else that you, you recommend? Um, there's a few things that are pretty easy to set up. One thing is just setting up live chat on your site, just like talking to people, see what they say, see what questions they bring up, see what problems they bring up. Also, if you use something like Intercom or Qualaroo, you can segment your questions to specific people. So if you know someone hasn't been logged in in X number of days, or if you know that they are a power user, you might have different questions for those people. You can create segments and then ask questions to them specifically. So that's a good way to do it. And then see, you know, one way to bring them together is say you have a problem, you know there's a problem in your product, maybe people don't know what it does. So you do a lot of user testing and you talk to a lot of different people to see how they talk about it, what language they use, and then you switch your messaging. One way that's like basic that's not really a lot of analysis to it is just see, do you get fewer questions about what it is that you do since you made that change? Right. If you're at a small stage, you might not be able to look at like these huge amounts of data, but just thinking about what is the improvement you want to make and how can you measure, even if it's not with data, like you know, hard numbers how that changes. Right. Let's say that I am collecting enough data at this point. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, it's statistically significant. Like we've gotten past that issue. We've looked at whatever it is that you uh, helped us do to figure out what numbers matter. And we know that we're to the point where like quantitative data is really useful to us. Even though I have a baseline for myself and for my company, how do I know like whether or not that's a good baseline Um, and whether or not I should be like, if it's apples to oranges here comparing to Mm -hmm. another company or something, uh, do you have any suggestions on 
like what a good baseline is. Cause I've heard this question a lot where other people who are talking to me about how I've done analytics in the past. And I said, I don't know, honestly, I just used my own baselines and kind of like polled other people to see how it is that they're doing. But I, I see that as a fairly common question. Yeah, that pe- that's what everybody wants to know. Like, is this a good rate or should I try to improve this rate? And I could tell you, oh, like open rates, 30% is amazing. Click rates, you know, 4% <laughs> is really good. I could tell you that if you're a SaaS company, that 40% activation is like best in class. But the reality is that all of that stuff is apples to oranges. And all you need to know for your business is how good is it now? And of course, we want to make it better. Right. Which of these metrics do we think will have the most impact if we improve it? Right. And I mean, ultimately, are you hitting the goals that you have for yourself as a business? Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really matter how other X number of SaaS companies are doing. If you're not doing the way that you want, then obviously that needs to change. Yeah, Because there's always room for improvement, right? So if you look at that funnel and you're looking at the conversions from in each one, you can probably reasonably look at it and say, okay, that looks kind of low. I think that we can improve this one. Or if we improve this one by a lot, it's going to make everything else better. So just taking a look in, about what the impact is, because you can always make it better. You can always improve it. Absolutely. Good words Unless to you're like on. super <laughs> optimized, you know, and you're like Pinterest and you've been doing optimizations for like 20 years. And I, I say 20 when I mean actually five. But <laughs> then it's harder, right? But if you're new to this game, there's a lot a lot of room for improvement. All right. And Pinterest out there doing like SEO experiments, which is just boggles my mind that they have the ability to go and do experimentation like that. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, that's another example of because they have so much data, they can run more experiments because they can, those can be statistically significant way faster than, you know, a smaller company with less data and less users. Right. I would not be able to have any, anywhere near the sort of impact that they have on that. Well, Diana, thank you so much for taking the time to help us out with this. Tell us, where can we keep up with uh, you and Segment on the web? Well, that's a great question. You can follow us at Segment on Twitter, or if you're interested in following me, I'm Diana H. Smith. And then also we have, you know, if you're interested in some of these topics, the Segment blog, segment.com slash blog. And we're also rolling out soon a new version of our academy, segment.com slash academy, that goes through a lot of these basics if you're new to analytics. Awesome. The Segment Academy is amazing. I actually like that method of teaching people really, really early on, you know, in the process is really fantastic. I think a lot of people have used that actually as a starting point for their own little user education programs. Awesome. Yeah. And it's going to keep getting better and we're redoing the first section. So it's super helpful. And then adding some more for people who have gotten past that stage, but want to be more advanced. So stay tuned. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thanks again, Josh. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Talking Code podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure to sign up for our mailing list at TalkingCode.com. If you liked this episode, please be sure to open up iTunes and leave us a review. And if you're dying for us to talk about something in particular, go to TalkingCode.com slash ask and let us know. We read and respond to every listener question. So even if you just want a little advice, we're here to help.